I started experiencing these depression symptoms and I was talking to my doctor and she's like, yeah, all your shit is like getting back in order to like being a normal human being. Like all that PTSD, you know, I was diagnosed with PTSD. All that stuff is kind of resolving itself and it takes years to unlearn all that trash and like fix ourselves. Hey there, my name's Ashley Church. And I'm Erin West. We were once newly promoted crime scene and latent print supervisors on mutual struggle buses as we both simultaneously tried to navigate through the challenges within our forensic units. Now we run a business where we create tools and resources that we wish we had had to make these transitions easier. We like to talk about the experiences we've had in the forensic field, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in the hopes to create awareness around these issues and move the needle forward to create positive change in the forensic community. So if you're a forensic professional, regardless of your years of experience, who's not afraid to dive into real, raw, and sometimes uncomfortable topics, you're in the right place. This is the Forensics Unfiltered Podcast. Before we start this episode, our guests would like to share a disclaimer that the opinions shared are their own and not representative of their current or past employment. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, guys, welcome back to Forensics Unfiltered. We're actually here in National Harbor, Maryland at the IAI conference. And today we'll be talking to Miss Kat Pope. I'm sure you've heard of her before, but for those that (laughs) don't know you, Kat, can you introduce yourself? Hey. Oh my gosh, I love National Harbor. Did you see the creepy statue of the guy that's like halfway underwater? Yes. It's like right (laughs) right out by our hotel. There's a lot of statues. We walked around when we were first walking around. I was like, are those people real? Oh, no, because there were a bunch of people just standing. They're very good. I actually grew up in D.C. and um, just outside. My parents were um, D.C. first responders. My dad was a firefighter. My mom was an ER nurse. And they actually met at the hospital. He asked her for a pen. And so (laughs) (laughs) I was born in D.C. um, at the hospital that she worked at. And uh, my sister was born there, too. So I grew up in the D.C. area. And I just love it there so much. I love um, DC too. I I worked up here for a long time and I love oh, this yeah. area. I would totally move back. Tell us a little bit about your background and you know what you're doing now. Awesome. So I'm currently a NamUs Regional Program Specialist, which basically just means I assist law enforcement, medical examiners and coroners with the resolution of their cold unidentified and missing persons cases. Um, if you're not familiar with NamUs, check it out. It's an NAMUS.gov. And it's a federal program that's totally free for everyone in the United States that works in some sort of criminal justice capability, professional status. But we also are available to the public and families so we can help with forensic services, DNA, uh, fingerprints, dental records, things like that. So that's my technical job. Um, I've been doing this since 2019. Before that, I was a forensic investigator with the medical examiner's office. I have an educational background in forensic anthropology. Um, so I have skulls <laughs> everywhere. And <laughs> my dear friend, um, Missy Woodrow, painted this and she called it a self portrait. And I was like, no, honey, that's a skull and, and it's mine. Like, I want that. You know, it's so beautiful. So 
anyway, I um, kind of live and breathe forensic science. I have always done this. I was a crime scene investigator um, right out of graduate school. And so now I've kind of started to identify that there are some things like you guys have done with gap science that I kind of missed in my degree and in my training and just my my whole experience, 15 years of working in this field. So I created this business called Forensics Found, and I'm kind of trying to provide support for people who are doing this really hard job so that they can do it better, right? Because we we not only do a really hard job, but we also are expected to do like a normal job, like go into the office and like, you know, print things and like, <laughs> talk to yeah. living people, which I always have a really hard time doing. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> just giving kind of support and uh, making funny memes on the internet and things like that. Oh, I could totally relate. And we understand that you also came from a conference this week really early in the morning, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I just flew in. I live in a really small rural place out on the eastern shore of Maryland. So I arrived at 1 a.m. <laughs> now I'm back at it this morning. But St. Louis University has a wonderful training program for medical legal death investigators. And they do a basic course every six months and an advanced course every two years. So I was teaching there. I teach, you know, for my real job, my big girl job, I teach about NamUs and get folks interested in investigating their cold unidentified cases and their missing persons cases. But they also wanted me there and, and I was really happy to provide this. You know, I physically put on a different hat. Like I brought <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm not representing the federal government. I'm not representing NamUs, but I am representing myself as a professional in this field. And I was able to speak for an hour about how to be resilient, how to be a professional, but also still be a human. Some tips and tricks and tools that I've used in my experience that really helped me stay grounded because I really, I really burnt out at the end of my career and no one ever told me what to do. Like, I didn't even feel comfortable saying, like, I'm struggling, y'all. I yeah. thought, you know, you had to be like stoic. You had to, you know, and being the kid of a firefighter and an ER nurse, like, my parents never complained. They just kept showing up. And so I thought you had to, like, you know, drink the whiskey, belly up, like stop your bitching, rub some dirt in it, you know, muscle up and, and keep moving. So I think just talking to saying out loud that you sometimes have struggles and that's okay. That's what makes you human. Like that's why we got into this job is to be with people who are struggling. So yeah, yeah. it was good. It went really well. And I got a hug from a couple of like old timers, which was really cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That is awesome. I think what you said is so true that we definitely have that mentality of put your big girl pants on, rub some dirt in it and, you know, toughen up and keep going. But I'm really interested to know, because I do think that a lot of us recognize that there's a need for, for something like this in forensics. I think they are starting to focus a lot more on first responders, police officers, fire, uh, even like comm centers are getting mm -hmm. a lot more support, mm -hmm. but it hasn't quite trickled into forensics just yet, I feel like. But I'm interested to know what almost like the trigger was for you that you were like, someone has to do something about this and I'm going to be the one. Like, I'm interested yeah. to know what the thing finally was where you were like, that's it, I'm <laughs> doing it. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, so I, as I've gotten into this, and started researching and trying to find like, what do we even know about last responder mental health? 
And we don't know a lot. Like there are some really great studies that we'll have to link after this podcast. Danya Slack, she's actually a, a coworker with me at RTI International. She wrote a publication on all of the mental health studies that have been done on first and last responders. And there are like very few on medical examiners, folks that look at child pornography, mm-hmm. um, not for fun, I mean, for work, but. <laughs> right, right, Just to be clear. Um, yeah. <laughs> trigger warning on that one. But you know, like people who, uh, crime scene technicians, there have been very few studies most of the agencies who look at this topic as a, in a broad spectrum are focusing on firefighters. There really haven't even been a lot on 911 operators, but you're right, that's a new kind of thing. And so there are groups that are now tracking first responder suicide. So we have really good stats mm-hmm. on that. We have no idea what the suicide rate is in our community. We have no idea what, what kind of the outlook and like, job morality rates like there are people i mean i i'm sure you guys know lots of folks too like get into this career and they're like this is for me i love it it's so great and then after five years they're like piecing out yeah because they can't they can't do the shift work or they don't want to balance the family duties or you know whatever it is they're sick of not having enough gloves in their size you know so i think that's a really good point to make and like hone in on But so for me, it was, it's kind of a longer story and I'm happy to share it. So I transitioned from a scene investigator. I was working like 300 hours a week and sleeping two of them. And I never got like a tool. I I was never told how to deal with shift work and on call. Um, At the agency I was at, we took our trucks home and on the weekends we'd respond from home in the middle of the night on holidays. So it was almost like my entire life was this job. I remember a weekend, I think it was like a Labor Day or a Memorial Day, it was a long weekend and I was on call and my phone would not stop ringing. I tried to go to like a barbecue, you know, my kids were little at the time and I just like, I took my work cell phone and threw it into the bushes. I was so fed up. I hadn't slept at all that weekend. And looking back on that, a good employee or a manager, like someone that knew me should have recognized that I was in a crisis at that time. You know, I'm not gonna damage state material or like uh, state property just for funsies. You know, I was, I was stressed out. And so it was right around kind of that time that this position with NamUs opened up and I got it. And I thought kind of all that burnout would just dissipate and then covid hit right so all my friends all my forensic friends are out there in the world in covid and they're like you're so lucky you know because i I work from home now and i didn't feel lucky i had like this major survivor's guilt i was so i wanted to be out there i wanted to be out there mucking it up like helping people and, and being in the thick of it and um during this time too, my drinking had just ramped up big time. And I think a lot of people probably have this similar story, especially around COVID, death investigator or otherwise, that it was like, we're all just kind of stuck at home. So let's just drink more. And so I ended up the big trigger for me answer long answer to your question. The big thing for me was taking a break from alcohol. I went through this kind of program. AA wasn't really something that I resonated with. I didn't feel comfortable kind of going into my community the community that i served and like was supposed to be this like professional for i didn't feel like i could go there and be vulnerable 
So I ended up joining this online community, doing this alcohol experiment, reading a bunch of Quitlet books. And when I started to really see what alcohol was doing in my life, giving me and taking away, I was like, holy crap, like people who work in the field, especially shift workers and like people who are exposed to all this stress and stuff that normal people don't see, like they should not be drinking alcohol <laughs> as much as they do. You know, we really need to be provided with these tools once we see something and it doesn't have to be a mass fatality. It doesn't have to be like this really technical advanced crime scene that we have to process and we're there all night. This is all the run of the mill stuff that we see every single day. It's the like chronic burglaries. It's the, you know, drug overdoses. It's the suicides. It's the routine stuff. And it's the talking to families or testifying. It's just this chronic thing that we're exposed to. And we really need to, instead of going home and polishing off a glass of wine and, num you know, or a bottle of wine and numbing out and like not confronting this stuff, we really need to go to sleep. Like we need to let our brains stop. And we rest. even have yeah. problems with that. Yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting that you say that it's alcohol. And I think that there's probably, you know, people listening to this that resonate with that. Like, oh, I do go home and have a glass of wine or two glasses of wine. But it's not just alcohol, right? I mean, it could no. be you're eating too much or eating too little. You're working out like obsessively you are like, there's, there's a variety of behaviors that we've seen forensic professionals do that are essentially the same thing that are like outletting or, or like trying to decompress that in, in some other unhealthy way. Right. So you may think like, yes. Oh, that's not me. I don't go home and drink a glass of wine, but it could be some Sweet other, things, yeah, yeah. Some other thing that you're, you're dumping that into. Right. A hundred percent. Many of us learn. It's like we have to compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. um, we're supposed to keep these things separate. And this is another thing I'd love to talk about is like, what is work life balance when you have that work cell phone at home? When you have when you're working shift work and you're not consistent with your hours or your sleep or your days and no people stop relying on you. I know I felt that big time like my kids just and my husband wouldn't even rely on me to come home. They would just like, they went about their business and I'm like, oh, I'm not needed here. I'll just keep, I'll like do overtime, you know, or I'll, I'll fill in for the shift and it just snowballs. Right. So mm -hmm. drinking for me was the thing that kind of, I was like, oh my gosh, I was using alcohol for this. And what I really needed was this. And then I was like, there are probably tons of people, like you said, who are doing other things that aren't thinking like, oh, this is affecting me. I should probably talk about it or think about it or consider it and then do something different. So that that's how I really kind of started. And it's huge. It's like, there's so many things that I'm finding now that I want to address and, and help with, but I'm only one guy. <laughs> so yeah, I love that. that's amazing. Yeah. And I like, I completely relate to the stuff you're saying. I think the first agency I worked at, I was definitely numbing myself but that was the culture too like we were all yep. so stressed and so it's like all right when when are we all going out you know that type of thing and we would enjoy that together but it really wasn't until after i left the field where i really understood how much it was affecting me and it's funny that you say work-life balance but there is no balance when like no. i felt like they essentially controlled my life you know, even if you're 
not on call. You can still be like, there may be a major case that comes in. Just having another phone tethered to you, like I didn't understand how much that was increasing and ramping up my anxiety. And then court too, like it can be something like that where it's like you got a scheduled day off and now like all of your plans are derailed. And all of that, like you said, it just like snowballs into you feel like you're trapped, you know, and um, no one teaches you how to handle those emotions. We're just like, especially in forensics, it's just like suck it up, buttercup mentality. But the reality of it is something's got to give because like you said, the burnout rate, and we see it too, three to five years, that's all we got. And it's like, we're going to die as science if we don't figure out how to help our community and retain those people. Because that's, I mean, we all went to school for a really long time. We love the field and it's like, it should be a giant red flag that we're willing to just leave it after three to five years and walk away and do something else. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And I remember my mentor, he was, you know, he was in it for 40 years, I think. I remember him doing things where I, as a young, you know, like 20 something year old, just like fresh out of college. And we used to argue all the time, you know, cause he didn't go to college at all. He just like was in the, you know, in the job, he was an EMT. He was a death investigator. That was his life. Wife was a nurse. And I remember him doing things that I was just like, this doesn't feel right. You know, entering houses without sa- even like acknowledging family or and like just he just had this huge barrier and he would always give me crap like oh you're educated you know i don't need i didn't need to go to college i got a phd in hard knocks you know and he'd say all this <laughs> stuff but <laughs> he taught me a lot about the science and I, and i you know i love him he's deceased now and i i thought of him as a father figure but at some point it's like how how do we also balance this need for you know, to be a scientist, not to have any expectation at all when you go onto a scene and to be a clean slate and ask specific questions, but still be a human and be able to not necessarily be vulnerable with your families because we, we do have to have that wall up, but also you still need to generate trust with these people that you're talking to. You need to respect them and give them respect and have them respect you. Yeah, that is hard. It is a challenge. I I have always tended to to be more like you were talking about your mentor. Like when I go to scenes, I do have a preference of I just don't want to, you know, communicate with the the individuals that are there or anything like that. That's the easiest way for me to kind of separate sure. what, what's going on with that scene from all the emotions that those people are having in, in that moment. Something, a conversation we got on yesterday, and I, I think I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this too, just kind of on the same path of like alcohol and other things. But we were talking yesterday about all the people that we know in the discipline who have medicated themselves in some way, <laughs> like, like yeah. they take, you know, medication for their anxiety, they take medication to help them sleep and like all of these the, the conversation we got on was that, you know, we know a lot of people are supplementing with medication to be able to continue to do a stressful job as opposed to 
resolving the stress so that they don't have to take the medication. Like they take the medication so they can keep going, like doing exactly what they're doing. So we literally were talking about this yesterday. I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on that because obviously that is a, a thing as well. Yeah, and I'm not a medical professional at all. If it bleeds, I'm leaving. But if, <laughs> you know, and my experience is my, my own experience. For me, it, like when I started, I did talk to my doctor when I was kind of all, I call it twirled up, you know, in my dark days. And she was like, she also gave me, you know, it was anti-anxiety medication. She wanted me to go to AA. She told me to quit my job. She sent me to the EAP therapist who I made cry because I was talking about dead things. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I know. So, yeah, that put me off therapy for quite a while. But I think we do have this preference to just, like, continue to put things in a closet and ignore them. And, like, if we can medicate them out, even better. Like, keep it moving. So... I, I am all for medication. I actually, so I've been alcohol free for two and a half years and I started experiencing like depression symptoms mm -hmm. and my doctor's been, I have a whole new wonderful therapist and she's, she's like all that, that dopamine. And this is a long conversation about like, you know, the brain and neurology. And like, when we just like artificially give ourselves a huge dump of dopamine through like, you know, scrolling in the internet or shopping or working out or drinking alcohol like when we're ignoring things and not building stuff up like being romantic with our partner which will eventually lead to sex you know like that is something that's really beneficial for us and will give us that rush of dopamine but when we're we've been working all day and we've like just handled a decomp ain't nobody got time for that with their partners you know it's gross so what we do instead is drink like you know <laughs> We drink some wine and maybe like surf the internet for cute girls, whatever. Yeah. And anyway, so once I kind of rebalanced myself and stopped drinking, I've got my sleep in order. You know, I've, I've got this outlet. I do a lot of journaling. I have a, you know, a yoga. I do yoga once a week. I love to meditate. It's not long and it's not pretty, but you know, like I do these things because I know that they'll make me feel better because it's something I build up and work towards. Anyway, so I started experiencing these depression symptoms and I was talking to my doctor and she's like, yeah, all your shit is like getting back in order to like being a normal human being. Like all that PTSD, you know, I was diagnosed with PTSD, all that stuff is kind of resolving itself and it takes years yeah. to unlearn all that trash and like fix ourselves. So I'm, I am taking medication and antidepressant. I feel so much better. I'm not anti-medication. I just think that you also have to like, you have to also do the work and like figure yeah, yeah. out, you know, our our bodies are meant to like run and function. And when we're putting ourselves in these crazy ass positions where we're like out all night or just constantly thinking about dead people and like crimes yeah. and stuff, like that's not natural. And so our brains are trying to like resolve that and come back to some homeostasis and we just keep like pouring booze or like you know like yeah other stuff on it and it's, it's hard so it's interesting the the mechanisms that you described it sounds like we're on like a similar journey and i definitely also had like anti-anxiety meds but i also yeah. that was like part of postpartum too but it, it takes a lot of work 
unpacking all the shit in therapy, doing the journaling. Meditation feels weird to me, but I still try it. Um, <laughs> I've learned to like yoga a lot, you know, stuff like that. And like you said, it has taken years and I still don't feel like I'm out of the fog yet. And the sad 100%. part is, is if we just equip the new people coming in with this stuff and have them do this stuff at the beginning, it won't take years. You know what I mean? Yep. Oh my God. This is like so huge because this is what, I, this is what I want. Like I want these young people coming in. Cause I think they're going to start expecting it too. Cause like feelings were in a conversation when I was a kid, Ew, like feelings now, <laughs> but like they are like, I'm raising my kids to talk about their feelings. And so anyway, I think that is like so huge to just be able to let students know and that's probably a part of it, man. Like, I thought that this career was like so cool and like it's everything I wanted to do. And like, I was gonna give my all to it and everything. And then like, you show up at like a morgue with, you know, these autopsy techs and these like doctors and these admins and these other investigators and they're all weirdos and I'm a weirdo and they all have different educational backgrounds. They come from different cultures and you're not like set up for that. You know, you were just, at least me in my experience, like I was just at a university, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. My job doesn't look like I thought it would. And I thought like, you know, I'd be wearing, I didn't think this, but like some people think they're gonna be wearing high heels and working in like sexy suits and like getting DNA evidence back in like two hours, you know? So it's like, we're really set up to fail. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like, and like you said, it takes, you know, nobody ever freaking talked to me about like how to be a parent while also doing this job. Oh yeah. Ever. So I know you, you probably could talk about this for days, <clears throat> but, for those, <laughs> but for those that are listening or those that are getting into the field, where is a place they can start or a few little tools that they could use to kind of start practicing that we hate to use the word balance, but just mental, <laughs> mental preparedness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, being prepared. I hate balance too. I think it's unattainable and it just like introduces struggle. If you try to be balanced and it's just not going to happen. So I think asking supervisors or asking your professors, like how they do it is a great place to start. And I'm slowly like infiltrating all of my forensic anthropology friends classes so that they're showing a recording about me talking about this stuff, like how to be resilient and how to plan and prepare. There is an amazing woman who was an EMT that has a course called Emergency Resilience, I believe. And she's, it's like a whole, her name's Alexander Jabber, J-A-B-R. She's got a course on how to give death notifications, which like mm. I never learned how to do and was a big source of like stress and struggle. Like I just screwed that guy's day up. I don't think I did a good job. I'm not prepared for this. I don't think there's really much right now. I know, I think what you guys are doing with the summit, like just having a whole entire week dedicated to conversations like that you may experience, that you might want to experience and you don't have. Getting people who like, who are coming into this field information, like you just have to ask for this stuff and people will start providing it. Well, you did mention the summit, so we might as well talk about that. <laughs> So we're super excited to have you as part of the summit. Would you like to share what your presentation is going to be about? 
Obviously, I'm talking about um, resiliency and just kind of some tools that you can use as an employee and maybe a supervisor or manager to create a more friendly environment for your staff and little tips and tricks and some stats and data about this. Um, like I said before, there's not a lot of information out there just yet. So kind of ha just having the conversation, saying that we have these issues and that we have these struggles and just admitting it and name it to claim it or whatever they say you know just saying it out loud is really important so that's what i'm talking about next uh, at the end of the month yes i know it's right around the corner so <laughs> so for those of you that are listening we hope that you join us for the 2023 summit you can see miss cat's presentation but we also have 29 other speakers besides Kat, that we'll be talking about all kinds of conflict resolution and communication topics with your staff, Good. with your chain of command, with each other. So hopefully that will be a very helpful event for all of our leaders out there. And I gave you guys a big shout out at the conference I was just at because there were a couple of people getting ready to run for corner. And corners are basically, you know, like they're the head poncho so when you come from just being a run-of-the-mill death investigator to like being in charge you definitely need this sort of thing so it's amazing thanks so much so <laughs> tell our forensics unfiltered listeners out there where they can find more cat pope if they would like some more <laughs> yeah if you guys ever need anything you can follow me on the instagrams at forensics found I do alcohol specific stuff, social medias on, it's called Responders Last Call. So if that's your bag, I have a website, I have a podcast, all forensics found stuff. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. And if you wanna join my newsletter, I talk a lot about this stuff, complete with lots of curse words and gross stories and forensic information. So you can sign up for that on my website. And if you guys are new in the field, if you're listening and you're interested in getting into forensic investigation and the medical examiner, please do not hesitate to reach out. Like the gap science gals are amazing. There are so many mentors and people out there that are willing to have these conversations. Oh, thank you. And we'll make sure to include all of the stuff you mentioned too in the show notes. So if you're listening, you know, you can head to the show notes and I'll include all the links there too. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Kat. And thank you for joining us today, guys. And we'll see you at the next one. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for being here and listening to Forensics Unfiltered. If you liked this episode, would you do us a favor and leave a review letting us know specifically what you liked about this topic? It will only take a minute, but it will really help us plan future episodes so we can bring you more topics that you want to listen to. We'll be sure to provide any links from today's episode in our show notes on our website. Head to www.gapscience.com. Until next time, stay safe out there.